Well, I want to read this morning, dear friend, just a couple of verses from the Gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter 16. Very important verses that only when the Lord uttered, uttered them all those years ago, but more so the day in the 21st century. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Every month I receive the National Geographic magazine and it was very interesting that when I received the magazine for the month of December last year lo and behold on the very front page of the National, Ge National Geographic magazine were these words The Real Jesus 41 pages were devoted to this particular subject, the real Jesus. Dealing with archaeology that had to reveal about the life of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful, friends? 41 pages in the National Geographic magazine, the real Jesus. And this morning, that is what we're going to think about the Lord Jesus. And what better subject could we have? And what better person could we speak about than the Lord Himself? And we're going to do it in three ways. First of all, we're going to have a look at the real Jesus. And then secondly, we're going to think of the false Jesus. And then thirdly and very quickly, we shall think of the true Jesus. 
Because what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, 16 is just as vital and important today in the 21st century as it was when he uttered them way back in the 1st century. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then he received the general opinion of people. And then the Lord asked the more penetrating, incisive question, But whom say ye that I am? Thus the people say, But who do you say I am? And then came that tremendous inspired answer from Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me ask you the question, dear friends, this morning in Middlesbrough, as you sit there. What do you think of Jesus? Have you given any thought to him? What do you think of him? First of all, the real Jesus you know, dear friends, there was a time in which if you were to mention Jesus, it was looked upon as a myth, a legend, a fable, and some say even the greatest hoax in history. No such person ever existed. Just the figment of our imagination. And they were some of the things in connection with Jesus. Think of it. A myth. Legend. Fable. Greatest hoax in history. No such person ever existed. The figment of our imagination. But of course all that can be dispensed with immediately. Because not only do we have uh, records in the Bible concerning Jesus, we have also references in secular history, Roman history, and Jewish history, namely by Josephus in the history of the Jews, that bear record that there was such a person as Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who was born, who lived who died, and thank God who rose again the third day. So when we think of Jesus, we're not speaking of someone that's mythical, or a fable, or the figment of our imagination. We are speaking of someone that is real, an actual person, who lived, and thank God still lives today, in the power of an endless life. But then we have to draw our attention to the false Jesus. You're probably wondering what do I mean when I say the false Jesus. Well, let me give you an illustration. Uh, quite recently, on a Saturday morning, I was outside the house washing the car. And I noticed coming into the avenue where I live, uh, four people. Two men and two women. One woman was using sticks to walk along with her companion, and then there were all two men. 
and immediately I knew who they were. Oh, I said, Jehovah's Witnesses. And I realized that very shortly I will be having a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And sure enough, in half an hour's time, these two gentlemen came to me, very nice gentlemen, and they introduced themselves. And of course, I knew exactly who they were, and I knew exactly what they have come to talk about. Because... I have met uh, Jehovah's Witnesses over the years from from time to time. And uh, when they come to see me, I don't let them sidetrack me about Armageddon or the 144,000. Oh no, friends. I go right to the core of the matter with regard to the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, having studied their theology over the years, I know exactly what they're going to say. And I can even give them their words verbatim with regard to the person of Jesus. And sure enough, we were got into discussion with regard to Jesus. And of course... Do you know what they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about him? Well, here is some of their literature. Let me read it to you. While on earth Jesus was a human... Although a perfect one, because it was God who transferred the life force of Jesus to the womb of Mary. But that is not how he began. He himself declared that he had descended from heaven. So it was only natural that we would later say to his followers, What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now listen to this. Thus Jesus had, no exi- had, had an existence in heaven before coming to the earth, but was it as one of the persons in an almighty, eternal, triune Godhead? No. For the Bible plainly states that in his pre-human existence, Jesus was a created spirit being. Just as the angels were spirit beings created by God, neither the angels nor Jesus had existed before their creation. And then, yes, Jesus was created by God at the beginning of God's invisible creations. My friends, not my words. Their words. In the words, what they believe about Jesus is so different from what the Bible teaches. They believe that he was created, and to use their own words, the highest of all Jehovah's creation. And immediately they deny, emphatically, categorically, his 
deity. They do not believe that he is God manifested in the flesh. They deny his deity. Now please remember that when they come to your door, they will not be using the Bible that you use. No, no, they have got their own Bible. And here it is. It's the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. That's the Bible they will be using, not your Bible. And let me read to you how they translate John 1 and verse 1. Now in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how it appears in the authorised version. Now then, let me read it to you from the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. In the beginning, the Word was. And the Word was with God. Now listen to this. And the Word was a God. And the Word was a God. And I confronted those gentlemen when they came to my door recently. And I say, you believe in a big God and you believe in a small God. And of course they didn't like what I said that. But of course that's the conclusion come to. Jesus according to them was a God. And in that version the first use of the word God is in capital G. But in the second use of the word G it is in the lower case. And the word was a God. And then I reminded those gentlemen, I said, now wait a minute, are you familiar with the Greek language? Do you not know that in the Greek language it doesn't have the indefinite article, it only has the definite article. And yet in your translation you have put in the indefinite article and the word was a God. And by this time, I think you begin to look at his watch. And I will have to be moving on. All our friends. The Jesus they speak about and teach when they come to your door is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is a false Jesus. So keep that in mind when they come to your door. And perhaps next week, next month, you'll get the knock on the door, ring the bell, and they will be there. So be prepared. Don't let them say, track you about Armageddon or the 144,000, but confront them. What think you of Christ? And remember, according to them, he's just a created being, the highest of all Jehovah's creation they deny the trinity they believe the Holy Spirit is just a force, an energy 
and they have no time for our wonderful and precious Lord Jesus. Let us come then to the true Jesus. And here in John 1 and verse 1 that we've just referred to, it says, in the beginning was the Word. There we have the eternality of the words. In other words, our Lord Jesus, before he came to earth in his incarnation, he was the Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And as such, he had no beginning. And he shall have no end. That is what we mean when we speak of his eternality. He is from everlasting to everlasting. In the beginning was the word. Before this universe came into existence. Before any sun or moon or stars or planets. Before there was anything of space or time. Or matter. He was already there in the beginning, was the Word. And then it says, and the Word was with God. There's his distinct person. Now let me say, dear friends, the Greek language is a very precise language. And that is why God in his wisdom decided to use the Greek language to write the New Testament. And please remember, the New Testament wasn't written in English, it was written originally in Greek. There are two types of Greek. You've got the classical Greek of the philosophers, but you've got the ordinary everyday language of the Greek, and that is what is written in, just the ordinary everyday language of Greek. And... In the Greek you have wonderful prepositions which are so precise. And John when he says, and the word was with God, he uses a little Greek preposition, pros. Which literally means the word was facing towards God. Was facing God. So there you see his distinct person. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Word was with God. Face to face with the Father. Away back there in eternity. So there you have his eternality. In the beginning was the Word. There you have his distinct person. But notice it says, and the word was God. Now let me take you back to your school days. And for some of you, we're going back a long, long, long time. But for the younger ones, not so much, not so long. Do you remember your lessons in English grammar? Remember you were taught about the subject of the sentence and then followed by the predicate. Is this all coming back to you? Subject, predicate, in English grammar. Well, 
It's very interesting that when John says, and the word was God, he puts the predicate first, and then followed by the subject. In order to show, in order to emphasize the essential deity of our wonderful and glorious Lord. And if I could uh, give to you the exact quotation from the Greek, Kai Theos en ho logos. Kai Theos en ho logos. In other words, and God was the Word. Now tell me, friends, could you get anything more stronger, more clearer than that? And God was the Word. He wasn't a created being. He wasn't the highest of Jehovah's creation. No, he was God. Eternal. What a revelation that is. His eternality in the beginning. His distinct person and the word was with God, facing him. And the word was God, his essential deity. Do you remember one occasion the Lord said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And the people said, you are not yet 50 years of age, and have you seen Abraham? Here's the Lord said, before Abraham was, I am. I am is a reference and name of God in the Old Testament. Do you remember in John 17, his great wonderful prayer? He says, Father, you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. <coughs> oh, friends, when we think of our Lord Jesus, we're not thinking of a mere creature. We're not thinking of an angel, or an archangel, or Michael. We're thinking of someone who is God, manifest in the flesh. <laughs> Let me tell you another example when the Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door. And again, we get into the argument concerning the person of Jesus. And I said to this man, Sir, would you answer me a question? Oh, he says, I'll do my best. I said, you remember, sir, when the Lord appeared to Thomas, when he rose again from the dead? Now, of course, you remember Thomas, he doubted to the Lord's resurrection. And he says, unless I see the marks in his hands and, and, and put my, my hand on the side, I will not believe. The Lord appeared to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, go ahead. Look at my hands. Put your finger in the, in the nail prints. Put your hand on my side. And here's what Thomas said, sir. My Lord and my God. Now here's the question, sir. Was Thomas wrong in saying that? And immediately the man said, yes, he was mistaken. He says, what happened was this? Thomas got a wee bit excited. And before he knew it, he says, my Lord and my God. But he made a mistake. He shouldn't have said it. 
Okay then, sir. If Thomas was mistaken, should the Lord have corrected him that he made a mistake in saying, My Lord and my God? Oh yes. Then I said, and I think I had my Bible with me, I said, well then, sir, would you, would you please show me where the Lord corrected Thomas and said, Thomas, you've got it all wrong. I'm not your Lord. I'm not your God. Would you show me? He looked at his watch and he says, I shall have to be moving on. He couldn't show me because it's not there. Because the Lord Jesus accepted the affirmation and the confession and the testimony of Thomas when he said, My Lord and my God. Are you getting this, dear friends? The real Jesus. He's a living person, not a myth, not a fable, not a legend. Forget about the, the, the false Jesus of the Jewish witnesses and concentrate on the true Jesus, the Son of the living God. I love the hymns of Charles Wesley. And you know, someone has said, friend, think of this for a few minutes, someone has said that if persecution ever came to this country, and every Bible was taken from you and every New Testament and yet no Bible and yet New Testament it has been suggested that it would be possible to survive spiritually on the hymns of Charles Wesley think of that why? Because the hymns of Charles Wesley contain tremendous doctrine and teaching that you don't get in some of the more modern day hymns and choruses. Oh yes, nice wee tunes. But there's nothing to them. They hear the day and they're gone tomorrow. Like little nursery rhymes. But the hymns of Charles Wesley, they contain tremendous teaching and doctrine. And you can survive spiritually, even if you didn't have a Bible or New Testament, in times of persecution. And here's how Charles Wesley puts it in his great Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Here's what he says, listen to this. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. What doctrine? There you have it. What teaching? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. There you have it. Enshrined in this tremendous hymn by the great Charles Wesley. A graduate, if you like, from Oxford University. He wrote over 5,000 hymns. And this is one of the great hymns. What a saviour. What a lord we have. They tell me, dear Christian... 
Do you know anything about this Jesus? Do you love him? Do you serve him? Have you talked with him this morning before coming to church? Or were you too busy to spend those few minutes in his presence speaking to him? Here's what the great apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We say, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? When you wrote those words to the church at Philippi, you've been a Christian for 30 years. Since the day the Lord saved and wrote to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, you've been a Christian for 30 years. And yet after 30 years, you're still saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Those of us who have been married for a long time, and I've been married for nearly 54 years, and no time off for good behavior. My wife Frances probably thinks she knows everything about me. She probably does, that much to do. And I probably know everything about her. And dear Christian, you can be a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you will never, never, never come to the end of knowing him. There are heights you've never scaled. There are depths you've never plumbed. There's length, breadth, depth and height you know nothing about. And that is what Paul says, yes sir, I've been a Christian for 30 years, but uh, that I may know him. Now let me say something very graciously, friends. It's one thing to know about him doctrinally. And I've been emphasized that this morning, doctrinally, theologically. And we must be sound in our theology and in our teaching. That's one thing. But what Paul means is not academically or theologically, but experientially. That I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know him and love him and serve him. Tell me, how would you answer this question? The question that the Lord put to Peter, do you remember that he was risen from the dead? He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? If the Lord would ask you that question, sister and brother, how would you answer it? Lovest thou me? Oh yes, you love the church. You love Moody's Burn Fellowship. You love the Bible. That's wonderful. But the question is, lovest thou me? Now again, we go back to the Greek. The Greek word that the Lord used was agape. And here's what Peter says. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And the word that he used is not agape, but filio. In other words, Peter, at least he was honest. He couldn't come up to agape, but he says, Lord, filio, I have affection for thee. How would you answer, friend? Do you love the Lord this morning? Do I love the Lord? I trust you do. 
And this is going to be one of the wonders of heaven. Because dear friend, when we get there, forget about the pearly gates, forget about the golden streets, forget about the jasper walls. The glory of heaven with this, we shall see him. In all his majesty, in all his glory, in all his splendor. Sometimes I, I wonder, what's it going to be like when for the first time that these eyes of mine shall behold him? In his majesty, in his glory. He is no longer the despised Galilean. No longer the crucified one that they spat upon and they crucified. All that's gone. Never again shall men spit in my Saviour's face. Never again shall they crucify him. No, no, that's all gone. And here's what John says. And when John wrote this, he's an old man in his 90s. Our dear brother over there, 80. John's in his 90s. I visited a, a, a man in Carluca and this year he'll be 102. He's getting on, 102. He's just a young fellow over there, ain't he? And John, when he says, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's your hope, Christian. That's my hope, that when we see him, we shall be like him. I have to confess in many ways, I'm, I'm not like the Lord. I confess that freely. You probably confess the same. But isn't it wonderful that one day in eternity we shall be like him. And as old John Newton put it beautifully in his great hymn Amazing Grace, the last verse. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less death to sing his praise than when we first begun. What a saviour. This is your Lord, friends. This is my Lord. Not a creature. Not the highest of Jehovah's creation. But the Son of the living God. Let me just give you this another thought before I sit down. Wouldn't it be wonderful, dear friends, when you reach heaven and you walk in the streets of glory and someone comes along to you and says it's because of you that I am here would that be wonderful friends if someone said that to you because of you I am here you took the time to witness to them you took the time to talk to them you took the time to pray for them and you saw them converted to and they're there humanly speaking because of your witness to them if that was the case, then your heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. That I may know him. Dear young person this morning in the meeting, get to know the Lord. Older person, keep on getting to know him because 
there's no limitations. Heights you've never scaled, depths you've never plumbed. Get to know him. Because the more you get to know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, you want to serve him. So that when you see him in the heaven, he'll say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Thank you for listening so patiently. May the Lord abundantly bless you.